Hello again. Thanks for joining us. This is Space Nuts. Coming up, we're talking uh, questions about the expansion of space, again, uh, the InSight mission and gravitational waves. That's all coming up on this edition of Space Nuts. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And joining me, as always, Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hi, Fred. Hello, Andrew. Very good to see you again. Now, Fred, uh, it is time to talk questions and answers from our audience. We've got a few text questions to go through today. And the first one comes from Nate. Uh, now, this this is a question we've had probably many times, but uh, it, it's worth revisiting because you never know what we're going to learn. As we heard uh, early on, um, things can change in the astronomical world at the um, at, 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 at the flick of a switch on the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, <laughs> so Nate yeah. Nate asked, thirteen point eight billion years ago, something happened. We know uh, we know that whatever uh, whether it was a big bang, the big bounce, or a big mac. Uh, we we know there was an event uh, in a seemingly centralized location. My question is, if space is expanding, what is it expanding into or on? Uh, even the singularity, if that's uh, even correct, should have been residing in something, right? Uh, thanks for making my evenings great. Every podcast is listened to the moment it is dropped, and I cherish each and every one. Uh, you two are fabulous and have been a part of our lives since day one. Have a great holiday. Oh, we're back, and <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your answer. Uh, yeah, it's an old chestnut. This one. Uh, what are we expanding into? Or uh, although he goes, uh, you know, what could be we expanding on? That's an interesting angle. Well, yes, yes, it, um, it is. It's a nice additional way of putting it. Um, so I think the the problem is that we apply our common or garden everyday logic to problems of cosmology mm. uh, that don't necessarily work on those logical principles um, like parallel lines never meeting and things like that, uh, which is actually, it is logic, but it's um, ge geometrical logic of a unusual kind. So uh, the, the, the observation that we can make uh, and I guess there's two or three of them uh, that refer, relate to this, we can observe that the universe is expanding because we've got this uh, signature uh, velocity distribution of galaxies that the further away a galaxy you see, the faster it is moving away from you. And that's exactly what you will get from space that is expanding. Um, we also know that... Uh, as far as we can see, there isn't an edge to it. Uh, we can see a horizon, and that the easiest one to envisage is the cosmic microwave background radiation, where you're looking so far back in time when you look out into space that you're seeing the flash of the Big Bang, which is now stretched from light waves to radio waves, microwaves, by the expansion of the universe. So um, the the likelihood is that the universe just goes on beyond that. And if we were, and there's nothing to suggest that's not the case, if we were somewhere else in the universe and looked out 
from our vantage point, which is different from where we are uh, at the moment on our galaxy, if we're on somebody else's galaxy somewhere else, um, we would see the same thing. We'd see a cosmic microwave background radiation and lots of galaxies all expanding away from us. Yeah. So um, the the question about what's it expanding into, um, we don't even know whether that's a meaningful question because it, it, it it's actually compressing the thing into our own, uh, you know, per- perception of space and time. Mm. Whereas uh, there are, are possibilities, certainly in terms of um, the geometry of the universe, there are possibilities that might say, well, it doesn't have an edge. <clears throat> For example, if you, you know, it's like the, the, the idea of, uh, in fact, this is quite a good analogy, actually. If you think of a, of your <coughs> excuse me perception of the universe reduced to two dimensions now we normally think of two dimensions as being uh on a piece of paper a flat a flat surface but it could equally well be on a curved surface like a balloon uh okay. so if you have your uh perception of space sitting on the on the surface of a balloon uh it expands uh, as you blow up the balloon, and yes, in our that you know that view that we've got, uh, it it is expanding into an additional dimension, which is the third dimension of space. So maybe maybe it will turn out that we will discover that there are hyperdimensional uh, spaces within what we've been thinking of as the universe. But maybe the universe is just something part of something much smaller. So if you thought. Sorry, I'm rambling a bit here, Andrew, but we've got a universe that's got three dimensions of space and one of time. But if if it was embedded in a fifth dimension or something, uh, in in the same way that the balloon is embedded in, in proper space, uh, then it maybe is expanding into something else. That's a complex way of describing something quite simply, which is we don't really know. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we, we, um, we think... Um, there are possibilities. There are geometrical possibilities that would allow that to happen for the universe not to have an edge uh, and be expanding, but to be expanding um, perhaps in relation to something like a, an additional dimension. We haven't seen any evidence of extra dimensions yet in any sense. Yes, That's but, that, but, the, that... but there are some very astute people that do believe that that may be a possibility. Yeah. Mm. And that there are multiple universes as well. That's yes, of course. There's a, and what's the other one I heard? That that uh, the universe is uh, folding back on itself. That's another one I heard. <laughs> Bit like a pile of washing. <laughs> yes, yes. The universe is uh, just a massive laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a rather dirty place, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's just full of dust. Uh, I saw- Absolutely, dust, dust, and gas, and and humans. Yeah, just a mess. Yeah, that's right, complete mess. Mm. All right, thank you, Nate. Uh, the answer is uh, uh, yes. It's expanding. It's expanding at an accelerating rate, and what it's expanding into, we do not know. Um, Lee Stevenson has sent us a question. Hi, guys. I'm an avid listener since discovering your show around six months ago. You are funny and educational at the same time. <laughs> Which one of us? Okay. Uh, it's, it's a great show. Uh, my question is, how can we learn so much about Mars interior from the InSight mission? 
I can't figure out how we got the knowledge we have from a single point of reference down to the estimated location of meteor impacts. This has been puzzling me for quite a while, and I hope you can explain and educate me. Best wishes, Lee, an Englishman in Svidenja. Uh, well, it's, oh, very it's nice. not that big a hop from England to Sweden, so stop showing off. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I meant to. Um, I meant to. I saw this question and meant to check it out of, uh, because I've been ill uh, for the past few days. I haven't really had time, uh, but there is some. Yeah, there, there, there's some very, very clever work uh, that's been done by the uh, by the Insight team, uh, and I think it involves. Uh, of course, it, like all seismology, you know, most seismology, you've got a volcano or something that um, uh, that uh, erupts or there's something hits the ground and you pick up by a network of seism seismographs or seismometers all over the planet. This is on Earth, of course. You pick up the, the echoes uh, of that a particular seismic event, whether it's a a reflection off the, uh, the, the the core mantle boundary or whether it's a refraction uh, past the core. These are all things that you, you can pick up, but it's, it's fairly easy to understand what's going on, that you can explore the inside of the Earth by having multiple sample points. By that, I mean, you know, lots of seismographs all over. Mm -hmm. Well, on Mars, you don't. You don't have that. You've got one little seismic, one little uh, lander in sight, which I think I'm right in saying is now defunct. Um, it's, uh, yes, they switched it off, didn't they, last year. Um, it's uh, got one sensor. So how do you know when you are uh, listening to the seismic signal of a meteorite hitting Mars uh, 13,000 kilometres away or something like that? And it's a very, very good question. Now, uh, because I meant to look this up, uh, I, I'm not going to give a definitive answer here, but we might we might take that down as a bit of homework, Andrew. Sure. But I'm guessing it it may be um, to do with the fact that seismic waves don't just come in one variety. There are, uh, if I remember rightly, it's P waves and S waves. Uh, P waves, I think, are pressure waves, and S waves are shear waves, which is two different ways that the uh, you know the medium that this is being transmitted through uh, vibrates, um, and it, it actually it's akin to a shear wave will be a bit like a light wave, which is a transverse wave. That's what we call it in electromagnetic radiation. Whereas a P wave will be like a sound wave because sound is transmitted by pressure vibration variations in a in a medium. It's got to have a medium to transmit it. Yeah, and I, I suspect that you can do things with those like the kind of things that we do with fast radio bursts in astronomy, where you know that the slower, um, the longer wavelength signals are going to come slower than the higher, sorry, shorter wavelength signals. In other words, the, the higher frequency signals are going to arrive first. And that's what causes that dispersion that lets you get the distance to something without actually knowing its redshift. You get the dispersion because you know as it, transmit, as it uh, transmits through what we think of as empty space, but is actually a, a lot of electrons uh, being very excited. Uh, so you can pick up information by that. So I'm guessing it's something like that. Right. Uh, but I will look that up because that's such a good question. And as I said, I saw it and I thought, yes, I must 
Because do some research into that. Mm. It's very clever science, though, that, that they can uh, detect yes. an impact so far away and actually isolate its um, its location. Well, that's right. That's the thing, exactly yeah. the point of the question. And, and Insight did co- go there with the intent of um, studying the interior of Mars. So it had equipment that was designed to pick up these kinds of activities. So. Um, that would go halfway to answering Lee's question, but we'll put it in the homework fo- homework folder. And uh, for the record, Insight's mission ended in December 2022, about um, 14 well, months ago. A year before. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lee. And to our final question for this episode from Wayne, greetings, gentlemen, long-time Patreon supporter. Thank you, Wayne. We appreciate it. Uh, first time questioner though, what kind of gravitational wave, if any, is generated by a supernova? Would these be detectable by LIGO? Love all the horrible dad jokes. Keep up the great work. Um, glad someone likes them. That's one. Um, <laughs> I mean, we do. So <laughs> they're, they're actually hard to find. Some of them. Some of them are so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've I've found thousands, but ninety nine point nine percent of them are not airworthy. <laughs> we must have a different website. Oh, I don't mean they're rude. They're just so so no. terrible. Oh yeah, so appalling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, um, a supernova. Does it make a gravitational wave? And I suppose the question, if I can expand it on a bit, is: uh, Are gravitational waves different according to what causes them? Yeah. Well, the, the answer to that is certainly yes, um, and. You know the the things that we can measure with LIGO, uh, it, in terms of gravitational waves, is the amplitude and frequency of the wave, uh, and the rate at which it decays uh, or a- a- increases. In in the case of uh, um, merging neutron stars, uh, what you get is this chirp, where the signal, if you trans- transfer it to audio becomes whoop mm. uh, because the they're, they're spinning around one another and then when they actually merge the that's the chirp that's when it goes up like that but i think um and I, once again i'm sort of um, dragging out from the, the bottom of my memories of researching into this quite a uh, quite deeply a few years ago uh what 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 cause <coughs> excuse me <coughs> I'll be better when I've started the new dose of antibiotics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which it must actually break the chemistry. It again. must really tick you <laughs> off. <laughs> I tell you, I've never been as ticked off as I was when I discovered what it was. It bit you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that whatever bit me. Yeah, I'll I'll refrain from showing you what it. Oh yeah, yeah thank you. Because we we are we are on YouTube at the moment. Don't want to get banned. <laughs> No, we don't get banned for showing horrible stuff. Anyway, uh, so just going back to it. So for to generate a gravitational wave, you've got to have an accelerating mass. Uh, and that's why um, neutron stars in orbit around one another do generate strong gravitational waves because you've got two uh, objects which are spinning around each other or revolving around each other. Uh, and that... Um, it, it basically constitutes an accelerating mass. Now, with a supernova, and, it, and in a sense, we don't know that much about these details, but supernovae, sort of generally speaking, are symmetrical. 
So you have an explosion, um, and you, but you have stuff going out in all directions, which kind of cancels itself out. So you're not really generating a huge gravitational uh, <laughs> yeah, in the background. I can hear it. I know, I know there is. I'm trying to ignore him actually because he's yeah, <laughs> he's just such a pain. Um, Marnie sent me a cartoon this morning uh, showing a, a, a little dog dressed in armour uh, with uh, a sword in one hand and a shield in the other, and it said, how small dogs think of themselves when, yes. uh, when, some, when somebody rings the doorbell. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what he's like. It's exactly what he's like. He's still only a puppy. He's only 10 months old, so you've got to give him some... You know, understanding. Maybe mm. one day he won't do that anymore. Anyway, yes, he, um, will. <laughs> he, yeah, he he is definitely an accelerating mass when anybody comes to the door, uh, and will probably generate his own gravitational wave or whatever he does. So, so, but uh, just to carry a, this a little bit further, um, I have seen the question of whether um, a, a neutron star. Itself, which is often the, the end product of a of a supernova explosion, whether the neutron star that will be left behind, because it's rotating, whether that would generate a gravitational wave, but it, it's because it's only rotating, it's not a, a mass being accelerated, you know, linearly. It wouldn't unless it has mountains on it. And you and I have spoken before about these millimetre-high mountains yes. that, supernova, uh, that uh, neutron stars might have. Mm. So if it's got a few millimetre-high mountains on it, then it will generate um, generate uh, a gravitational wave. But to the best of my knowledge, nothing has yet been seen by LIGO or the other detectors that actually represents that. Okay. So a uh, great question there you know, from, from Wayne. Uh, you might be interested to know, Fred, that Wayne is actually um, watching us on YouTube right now, and apparently, um, Good you. yeah, the, our YouTube Thanks. listeners and viewers are pretty excited by the fact that Wayne's question happened up, happened to be Excellent. served up right now. So that. That doesn't yeah. happen often, so that's really good. No, thanks, thanks for thanks for the question and thanks for watching, Wayne. Sorry, I've got a straight answer, but I'll once again have a look at the details. It's a while since I looked at all this stuff. Mm, very good. All right, um, thank you, Wayne, and uh, thanks for listening. And good to have you along live. And if you do have questions for us, remember you can send them through via our website, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io and click on the AMA link to send us a text or audio question or just click on the purple thing on the right-hand side of the homepage uh, to send us audio. As long as you've got a device with a um, microphone, you're all set and tell us who you are and where you're from. We always like to know. And uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget, I've got to do it again. Don't forget to press the subscribe button below. <laughs> they all do it, don't they, the people on YouTube? And don't forget to hit the subscribe button below. So there we go. I've just done it. Um, and that brings us to the end of another program. Thank you so much, Fred. Pleasure, Andrew. Uh, good to talk again, and we'll speak again soon. We will indeed. Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large, getting over his tick bite, and uh, to Hugh in the studio... Um, who just gets ticked off all the time. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks so much for your company. Looking forward to joining you again on the next episode of Space Nuts. 
Bye bye. Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from bytes.com.